I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True. And you're listening to If We Were Riding. A triathlon-ish podcast. Grab your sock hats, fill your decanter. Friday's here. It's time for some banter. Tri-tips, life chat from two feisty pros, zoomies, arm hair, ebbs, and flows. Rides with influential women in sport. Voicemails from you, now it's in your court. Join in just to stalk raccoons. Do you like your Zwift caps and fear those loons? So unpad your bras and stop that hiding and find out what happens if we were riding. Hey, Sarah. Sarah? Sarah? (laughs) That was a reenactment of me last night when I was sat on Zoom waiting for Sarah to show up and crying into my soup or my glass of wine. It's more like it. Um, No, not really. Uh, Sarah Sarah did message me um, well before I ended up crying. Uh, in my glass of wine on my own uh, to tell me that she was caught up at a Zwift event and was unable to make our recording time. So while that sounds unfortunate, actually, I'm going to tell you, friends, that it was very fortunate for us because Sarah, after having what I believe was her first beer in a year and a half since having since being pregnant and having hawk um, she then came home from that zwift event and at late at late late hours recorded an amazing 15 minute voice memo for us all so if that's not enough to get you excited about this upcoming show i don't know what is (laughs) but coming up we are actually going to talk about the emotional investment of coaching Do women pace better in sport and life? We're going to talk a little bit about mum guilt. We also hear Sarah's impressions of Iron Man St. George. Oh, I'm going to do a dramatic reading of a squirrely tale. Let's talk about Orca for a minute. In 2018, Orca approached me at the Ironman World Championships in Kona and said, hey, we love what you are doing and we want to support women better. So we are designing products specifically for women rather than just, you know, shrinking the men's products. And we want your help. That's me, Sarah, and Feisty Media that they were asking for help from. Not only that, but I personally find that my Orca wetsuit is the best I've ever had for flexibility and buoyancy, and I definitely wish I had found it when I was racing pro. Fast forward four years, and Orca has launched their new triathlon wetsuits and other gear designed specifically for women. I'm so proud to have been part of this process. So you can order your very own wetsuit and other fab products for 15% off using the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com that's iron women the name of one of our amazing triathlon podcasts iron women 1515 at orca.com as a former pro triathlete who now does very amateur crossfitting for fun and is in perimenopause, meaning I can't count on my hormones to be consistent anymore, one of my main limitations is the speed at which I build muscle. 
It just doesn't come easily for me. I wanted to make sure I am actually getting the benefits of the little time I do have to work out. That's why Amino Co's Perform is the perfect product for me. It tastes good and I just sip on it before and during my workouts. The Amino Co's Perform formula has clean ingredients and is great for your everyday routine to help give your body the fuel it needs to perform at its best and recover faster and stronger from workouts. What's even better is that Amino Co's Perform was created by former Harvard professor and world-renowned clinical researcher Dr. Wolf. As a competitive athlete, Dr. Wolf has completed 62 marathons in under 2.30 whoa, <laughs> and is still fueling his body with Perform at age 75. So if you are looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to boosting your peak athletic performance, I recommend you give Perform a try. It's scientifically three times more effective on a gram for gram basis than any other protein source. To try it yourself and get 30% off, Use the code RIDING, R-I-D-I-N-G, when you visit aminoco.com forward slash riding. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com forward slash riding. Hello, Sarah. I am really, really sorry. It is currently 8.45 p.m. Pacific time. So I'm kind of tired. I couldn't find my microphone thingy. So I'm recording this with my headphones. And I don't know if it's going to work. And the third barrier is that I had a beer. Okay, all those things don't sound like that big of a deal now that I'm saying it. But 8.45 Pacific time is 11.45 Eastern time, which is way past my bedtime. And for the microphone, I have no excuse other than I cannot find my cable. For the beer, I am a lightweight now. Um, I basically have not had anything to drink since Hawken has been born. Or he was developing in my home. So it's been a really long time. Um, and I didn't eat much of the kind of mediocre pizza. And instead, this beer is going straight to my head. Um, so we'll see how this voicemail goes. All right. So why am I in Morgan Hill, California? I am in California because I am here with the... 2022 Zwift Tri Academy team. Uh, it's crazy. So last week I was in St. George with the 2021 Zwift Academy team. I was there all week with them. It was super awesome experience. You know, got to be there, living with them. Part of their pre-race preparations was cheering like a mad woman all day long. I had so much fun supporting them, and then. As a spectator, even as a spectator, I got kind of a post-race crash where just there was all the buildup. You're there. You know, you wake up at 3 a.m., send them off, send the little chickens out to roost. And they absolutely crushed it. You know, you're you're so excited for them all day long. And then you 
finally fall asleep at like midnight um, and then wake up the next morning. There's just kind of the post-race blues. I I don't think I've ever experienced it as a spectator. But I had so much emotionally invested in this group. So there were six athletes. Absolutely love them. Um, they're amazing people. It was really fun to watch the race experience, the highs and the lows. You know, it was just across the board. They made me so proud. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a coach um, because, I don't know. Like, here I, I was I was a mentor, so I don't really – I still really don't, don't know what that means. Um, other than, you know, Tim Don and I, we – ask or we answer questions that they have. We're there for them as people, you know, we interact with them. Um, but the coach athlete relationship makes me realize how special it can be because if I felt this emotionally invested in them, uh, you know, in a very informal, uh, relationship, then something, oh, it would be too heart wrenching for me. Oh, man. There were tears. There were tears, absolutely. I was just so darn proud of them. So we we had a range of experiences. One athlete, um, so six athletes. One, I would say he raced his absolute perfect race on the day. So that was kind of like the best case scenario. And then we had another athlete. She had two punctures and, you know, was just persisted throughout it. Another one. She wasn't feeling super confident going to the race, but by the time she got to the run, she had this huge smile. One of the guys, he had just, you know, he he had a solid day, but you could tell he was struggling in the heat. Kept on pushing through. It was so inspiring. Had a tremendous result. And then, oh, oh, the the hardest one to watch was um, we, one of, our athletes, the sixth athlete, he had a heel injury and didn't want to let anybody down. He walked, basically, he walked around the marathon, and I was just so proud of him. He was so worried about all of us waiting for him, but you realize just sometimes just finishing is absolutely inspiring. Um, they all finished. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. So. Needless to say, big emotional investment into six athletes and being part of their process. And now I turn it around with the rest of the, the, the crew here. And we have a new group of athletes. They all, they're all here. They got in today. And, you know, we we're getting to know them. Amazing group of people. But it's like a... I don't know. It's like a breakup with the last group. I'm I'm not quite over them. You know, I'm I my heart is still with them. I I like these new kids. You know, kids. They're not kids. Um, these new athletes. You know, I'm I'm excited to get to know them. But yeah, I'm still pining after after my last crew. You know, I'm I'm sure by the time we get to October, so the the six athletes are here in California. They've all qualified for the Kona World Championships in October. By the time we get to October, maybe I'll have forgotten about well, not forgotten, but 
you know, the, these six will be an equal standing in my heart. I'm sure they will. Um, but still, oh, all right. So overall impressions of the St. George experience, it definitely felt like I said in last week's podcast, it felt like more of a normal Ironman. Didn't have that world championship vibe. Uh, pretty subdued. You know, there were some spectators, but it wasn't crazy. The racing itself, uh, especially uh, the pro men's race is super exciting. The women's race, I mean, Danielle, what a beast. Uh, but it's still something just felt a bit not as grand. And I don't know if that is because it, uh, you know, it's a May race. It doesn't have the same uh history of Kona I don't I couldn't quite put my finger on it just I don't know I I don't know why it didn't feel quite the same as Kona um in terms of the grandiosity I don't know if that's the right word the importance of the race did I get any FOMO um well, I guess up in there, there's there's no FOMO, so there's no fear. Did I feel like I was missing out? Oof. You know, at the end of the day, I realized that it was a super hard course. So if any of our listeners did the course, they know you had to be really fit to be able to deliver a good race result. I There was no way after having a baby... And just my, uh, you know, childcare situation, I could not have been in the fitness I would want to be in, um, you know, nine months after having Hawken. Uh, and I'm very realistic about that part of me. It's like, oh, if only I could be out there. Uh, and that's the racer in me. But the very pragmatic part realizes that. It just, it wouldn't have been possible for me to be in the, the shape I wanted without taking some, possibly taking some shortcuts, um, you know, ramping up my volume before my, my body could really handle it. Um, so, yeah, I would have loved to have been out there. It looks like a really hard course, really hard day. Uh, but I just don't think I would have been prepared enough. Um, let's see, what, what other observations? Man. Okay. Well, we'll, we talk a little bit about gender on this podcast. Um, I will say I noticed that it was very apparent the, uh, the distribution of men to female, how high the percentage was. I think it was only like 20% of the field was female and it was very noticeable. Uh, on a different podcast, we can talk about why, even though overall, Triathlon is a pretty equal male to female uh, percentage sport. Why the longer distances, it's harder for women. Um, not because of uh, physiology, but because of life um, and expectations. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was very noticeable as a spectator. Another thing I noticed was that towards uh you know when once you got to 
you know, the, the slightly less speedy folks on the course. There were a lot of women who were still running. And not as many men who were running, which I found fascinating. So a lot more men walking, women plugging wrong running, and I would have loved to actually see the numbers. It was it was pretty dramatic. And here's my here's my completely unscientific hypothesis is that uh the women may be better at staying within themselves and not blowing up on the bike course on a very hard bike course and moderating their pace i don't know i don't know if there's anything to that maybe some of our listeners know if there's been a study about uh women's ability to pace but it was it was really quite fascinating to see it play out at uh st george Another interesting, or not so interesting, I don't know, since I'm just talking to myself at this point, um, observation is there were, there were a few people who asked if I felt guilty about being away from my baby. And I found this interesting because I don't think we would necessarily ask um, a father that. But I don't feel guilty at all. Uh, do I miss him? Oh my goodness, I miss him so much. I miss him so much. He's so sweet and wonderful. Um, yeah, of course I miss him. And it's hard for me to be away. But I'm at work. And I knew all along that I was going to have to leave my little bubby for two weeks. Um, but yeah, guilt. Essentially, it's it's something that society imposes upon us. Um, it's not something that, you know, shame is something that we feel internally. And guilt is, you know, basically the, the social cues that we are getting and how we feel about those. Um, and I, I'm pretty, I guess I, I don't feel guilt. I don't feel any shame about being away because it's my job. Um, I don't know. I, I, my, my a family member made the assumption that um, I might be feeling guilty. And that when I was, when I said I wasn't that, uh, you know, my family member's response was that, well, it's great that, um, you know, society has progressed to the point where a mother can leave home and uh, not feel guilt. And I have no idea whether that is true. I don't know whether society has progressed to that point. All I know is that how we choose to uh, process, you know, social cues, that, that is completely individual. So I see the messaging that I am supposed to feel a certain way about being away from work, um, for, for work, for um, my, my child. Um, but all I can do is interpret those feelings in a certain way and choose whether or not I feel about them.
Does that make any sense? So the difference between shame and guilt um, and how we, one's internally produced and one's external. Um, yeah, I refuse to let society dictate how I feel about doing my work. Um, but yeah, I do miss my little guy. I don't feel guilty, but I miss him so much. It's just right now they change so quickly. Oh man, this is rambling podcast message. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up because it's been 15 minutes. I want to hear how you're doing. I want to, you said you had a crazy 24 hours. I would love to know what that means. Uh, what's going on in feisty worlds? Do you have any raccoons in your yard? Um, let's see. Yeah, give us an animal story and tell us why you rock. I can tell what you why I rock. Actually, I can't because I have to come up with something. Okay, I rock because I gave a high kick when Miranda made me give her a high kick uh, while she was running on the run course. There you go. Oof. All right. See you next week, Sarah. I'm so sorry for my rambling message. Bye. Okay, so first of all, and listeners, please, if you agree with me, please let us know or let Sarah know on social media that she should have a beer more often while we record. Um, because I was going to say little known facts, but actually probably well known facts. I, I drink my glass of wine every time. Some Occasionally I'll have a gin and tonic or a bourbon, uh, but largely I drink red wine. Um, every time on a Wednesday evening when Sarah and I record, I actually quite look forward to it. Um, so maybe Sarah having a beer every time should be included in our podcast recording rituals. Um, so let us know if you think that that's the case. Um, that was a wonderful voice memo, Sarah. There's so many things I could say. I don't even know where to start. Um, I was kind of amused by like the Zwift Academy thing. This feels like how 2022 is going. Like Zwift Academy the 2021 group meeting in St. George and then like boom back to back the 2022 group is like is meeting a week later um and that feels to me kind of like how we're how we're actually doing 2022 like just in general like we're all trying to squish in extra events we had like what was what was called the 2021 world championship in St. George for Ironman and but really it's happening in 2022 um I think if if it weren't for the skyrocketing prices of travel uh of airplane or flights i should say um i think everybody would be like cramming in double the events in 2022 to make up two or three years um so i'm curious if like other people are feeling that but somehow like in the last month i just felt this vibe that like everybody's ready to go um i'm yeah including myself so maybe it's just me that we're talking about um I thought it was curious too, Sarah, when you talked about the emotional investment of coaching, that kind of made me think for a minute because I was like, oh, is emotional investment part of the coaching process? Like, is that something, that level of attachment to be, and like, I, I'm seeing, I immediately saw an emotional investment in the coaching, in with the coach to the athlete, right? Being positive, as in like, you're in it together, you really care about their results, Um I definitely see it as a positive thing. And then I thought back to my coaching days because I coached for I, probably close to 10 years. Um, and I, I'm like, oh, some athletes really need and want that and appreciate that and others don't. Like I definitely had some athletes that were like 
write me the program, you know, and that's it. That's all that they wanted. And they really wanted to like manage and take care of their own training. But in a way, like when I say that, I'm like, yeah, manage and take care of it. But it is like a managing and a taking care of your own emotional process because we all have like if you're following a training program, for especially for Ironman and you're training in the morning and you're training in the evening, like you go through a lot of emotional processes around like whether you actually feel like doing the thing that's on your training plan, right? So like someone's ability to kind of just like switch that off and get shit done is actually related to, I think, what they kind of need from a coach. And it's definitely a sliding scale. Now, that's not to say that folks who need a little bit more emotional investment aren't, um, are any, it's just like a different process, right? So sometimes, and I understand this as well, like you want, as an athlete or as a coach, like you want someone to be accountable to, right? Like you want to know that someone's going to be looking at your training peaks log later or whatever logging system you use. And like, they're in it with you, you know, making sure that you do it. If you didn't have a good session, maybe following up and saying, making sure everything's okay, making decisions about the next session. Um, So I think that emotional investment can be super positive as well. Anyway, those are just my reflections because I was like, oh yeah, you have to, as a coach, I feel like I responded to like, I responded to both of those types or like where someone was on the extreme. I think my preference from a coaching point of view is a little bit of both. Like I want someone actually to want me to be in the process with them and and even do a little bit of handholding and hear about how they feel about the process, make sure that they're happy and joyful through the process of training. Um, but I also I also know that that get shit done attitude or ability is um, which yeah, which can be a little bit about like switching off your emotions at certain times or not heeding to them. Um, that that is like that kind of person also um, can be very successful um, in a sport where the volume of training you do is actually directly related to how well you do, um, or it's one of many factors. Um, so yeah, I prefer someone who has a little bit of both. Anyway, Sarah, I feel like maybe you need to try coaching a little bit we've had this conversation before so maybe we should revisit that um I was wondering as you were talking if there were any if any high kicks were delivered to any athletes (laughs) so I was glad to hear that Miranda um got her high kick (laughs) out there on the course um too bad we don't have that moment on video and actually I thought the next few points that you made were super interesting and probably related so you know, the fact that you observed that about 20%, or maybe you counted, I'm not sure where the stat came from, like 20% of the field in St. George was female. That seems really low to me for a North American race. That sounds more like a European stat, which is crazy, especially since it's a world championship. And I know that um, while Ironman doesn't always do the best job possible at trying to get um, an equal number of men and women on their start lines, uh, I do know that in Kona, at the world championships, they've you know, it's sort of been at 27 to 28%. Um, and because I know this because Andrew Messick announces it loudly <laughs> at, the, at the pro meeting at the press conference every year. Um, so, um, yeah, I, that just surprised me a little bit. Um, and then your point about, like, women's ability to pace and how many DNFs there were. And I think we should talk about this next week when you're actually here with me. But um, we did have someone write in to the podcast about this fact that it was something like 30% of the pro men's field 
that DNF'd and 0% of the women's field, which is like, there's there's always a bit of a gap there. I think it's really unusual for more pro-women than pro-men to drop out. Um, but this, like, that's a really, that's a really massive number and difference. So, and it's come up, interestingly, because on the Women's Performance Podcast, which is the other podcast that I do, they, um, it's come up a couple times when I've asked people who do, especially like long distance racing, like the kinds of things like long distance biking or running where, um, events where women actually often win the events outright and it's come up around women being better at pacing and that's kind of a consistent thread like when I ask people like what do you think it is like is there anything about our female physiology that you think um, can, helps us win at those long long distances and like some of them will say well I don't know about physiology or, or if it's physiological but women are gen- they think that women generally tend to be better at pacing and when I interviewed um Emily Krauss and Megan Roche from Faster, the new initiative at Stanford to increase um, studies on female athletes. Uh, they they actually both said, oh, I always, or I think it was Megan who said, you know, I often say this, like women are better, better at pacing, not just in sport, but also in life, <laughs> which I thought was like an interesting observation. Uh, so now I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't know that it's the most scientific of stats, but um, are women better at pacing in sport and life? Maybe, maybe. And if we are, why? You know, like maybe we need that. Maybe it's built into us. We need that extra patience of having because we need to grow up. We sometimes we don't need to. That's the wrong phraseology. We sometimes end up growing a baby in our belly for nine to ten months, and that's a process that requires patience. So a little bit of inbuilt pacing could be helpful. Um, I also would think there'd be a, a tremendous amount of cultural, like you talked about cultural cues, Sarah, and cultural norms, and, and I'll I'll respond to that in a bit, but that might um, cause us to be more, I don't know, like mindful about how we're going through our days, or like if we want to actually do something or accomplish something for ourselves, um, we have to pace out the other things that we're doing to make sure that we have enough time to like set aside to do exercise or to create our side hustle uh, because the expectations and I mean this is the shown in the stats that like the expectations around keeping the house clean um, child and child rearing still very much land on women um, even though a lot of people actively try to spread the load on that it's still kind of the cultural norm for that those expectations to be in place and Sarah and I have talked about that before so yeah are women better at pacing in sport and life we'd love to know what our audience thinks okay so now I wanted to follow up with your comments about people assuming or people asking if you feel guilty about staying away from Hawk who interestingly like to go to the Ironman World Champs and interestingly like he's this is not like he's like not a newborn right this is like nine months in like he is not new to the world <laughs> like and yet this question is still coming out um it it um reminded me of when I was okay let's see I did I felt for you on how you were describing your current fitness like you didn't feel like you were world championship fit or that you would have that um I did I tried to race when Rosie this goes back you know, more than a decade now, but when Rosie was six months old and it was too soon and I ended up DNFing, um, I actually didn't sleep through the night. I was still breastfeeding. Um, and so that didn't work out for me. Um, but then at nine months I did Ironman Canada and I feel like you perfectly 
described like what my fitness was like there too like I, I had like a bit of fitness by that point um, and I was able to go out and have kind of like an average Ironman that would definitely not have been a world championship form um, for me not that I really ever achieved world championship form properly or hit it in the right way but you know in a magical world where I did it would not, it was definitely not there um, and then but then I came I think I came fourth then in Ironman Canada when Rosie was 12 no nine months old and then we went to oh so my ex and I then went to Kona to the Ironman World Championships just to watch um and I remember this like so well I was it was after the race and I there's a there was a I saw a former world champion on the dance floor this is like because like Kona's a it's a bit of a party if you race it becomes a party after the race if you if you're in the industry it can be a little bit of a party like all week long um so this individual had raced and he's a former world champion he had won people are gonna know who this is and i used to i used to train with him in the middle east like do like long rides through the desert just like me and him so like i knew him fairly well he's a bit of a straight shooter um anyway i was so excited i'm like I see him. I hadn't seen him all week. He was racing, you know. I'm, like, dancing up a storm. I see him on the dance floor. I, like, tap him on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he turns to me and he says, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> like what? And he's like, you should be home with your baby. And I, like, I was so stunned. Like, I think 10 years later, I think I'm still stunned that someone would say that to me now like I know him well enough I know he's a traditional thinker like I I I knew all of this but it just like shocked me um so I was actually like I had a similar reaction to you saying that like a family member asking about your guilt and then maybe like being a bit incredulous that you didn't have guilt before finally saying oh well it's isn't it great that we've evolved this far that we don't have guilt like we should not have had guilt in the first place. Like, there's nothing wrong with men taking care of their babies. <laughs> like, or I shouldn't assume everybody has a male partner. Like, the like a male partner taking care of a baby, or a, a partner, or a mother, or a sister, or any other ch- child giver or child care person. Further, and now I'm just in rant mode. Um, <laughs> I and we've heard this rant on the podcast before, but I'm just going to do a mini reminder of it. Like that, I really do not think that we were designed to raise kids like as two people in a house, just like cloistered into a unit of two, and then adding like adding babies. I think that like for most of I think I know that for most of human history, you know, we were much more community oriented in terms of how we did child rearing. And so the folks who were good at child rearing took care of the children, right? And it wasn't just like any mom, no matter what her personality is expected to do X, Y, and Z, you know? Um, And so anyway, rant over, you've all heard that before, but Hopefully someone gets something out of it the second time. Before I go, I want to do a couple more things. One is, Sarah, thank you so much for independently taking the initiative and doing IROC because because it allows me a space to do my IROC because, which is always the same, as you know. So (laughs) my IROC because is, I I rock because I am a boss. Um, And every, and this is like, the reason it's the same I rock because every time is just because I'm on this journey of learning as the business grows at every phase, I have to learn 
how to be a boss in a new way. So like now, you know, I used to be like I used to be the only person in the business. Right. And now I've had a level of realization recently that um, I was still to some extent involved in like a lot of the operations. And I guess I am. Uh, But that what's been needed even more recently is for me to actually allow the operations to happen by the two folks who are who (laughs) who involved in my business, Catherine and Ella, who are very excellent, excellent operators and much better than I and more organized than I would ever be. And that actually there are other jobs that are needed um, from my end. Uh, as CEO that I have to shift again you know so it's like always this shift Um, that just went in a direction that I uh, didn't expect it to but anyway that is my I rock because so I'm gonna give everyone a little break from my monologue and when I come back I'm going to do a dramatic reading of a squirrely tale the fastest path to living healthier longer starts inside Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. It was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. That's quite a list. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier longer. When I do my Inside Tracker tests, I always use the mobile blood draw service. It's amazing because you can enjoy a premium lab experience in the comfort of your own home or your office. All you have to do is book a time that suits your schedule and they will come to you. The scheduling is easy and they send you text alerts so you'll get appointment updates and notifications when your Inside Tracker health analysis and custom action plan are ready to view. It's great for busy people who want to save time. So if you want to try Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw service and find out what's going on inside your body for your health, go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. was a beautiful sunny summer early evening almost 20 years ago. I was five blocks from finishing a gravel ride. I was on a quiet residential street with townhomes to my right and a wooded grassy field leading to a small lake on my left when a squirrel came running from the right side onto the street. I thought for sure the squirrel would see me and stop Squirrels can do quick starts and stops, right? I thought about stopping, but had to decide quickly. I had time to react, but I didn't. The squirrel kept on running and almost shot the gap between my front and rear tires. Unfortunately, I felt a thump as the rear wheel went over the squirrel. Then I stopped quickly Why didn't I do that a second earlier? To see what happened to the squirrel. I hoped I had run over the tail, but no. It was the body. The squirrel was still alive, but its legs were paralyzed. Using its arms alone, it was dragging itself back to the curb it had just come from. No longer trying to cross the road, but trying to go back. 
I felt so bad. Couldn't I have just slowed down at least, I thought. I felt so selfish and so cruel. Just as the squirrel reached the gutter, it stopped and blood came out of its mouth. From impact to death was approximately 30 seconds. But those are 30 seconds I will never forget and have made me a more considerate, less concerned about the focus of my workout person. I look out for squirrels on my rides and even to the extent that I can when I'm driving. So I just want to say thank you to Todd for the amazing uh, story about the squirrel. If anyone has any animal stories in which an animal changed you into a more compassionate person, um, that would be amazing. I have, I, it sort of made me think of, um, in, it always used to bother me when I was training in Spain, there were those geckos, I don't know what you call them, like chameleons maybe that change color and so like you could see them one time and they'd be like this bright green but then if they sat in the road they would like they would basically turn into gray like the color of the asphalt um and I always just like I'd always kind of get mad at them because sometimes there were lots of them and he was like if you just stay a bright color I would see you on the road on my bike and I wouldn't I would like literally try to avoid you but if you're going to like become the color of the pavement I can't, sometimes I don't see you. So, um, yeah, that made me feel really badly with the geckos, with the chameleons or whatever you call them. Um, Anyway, Todd, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thanks to all our listeners for putting up with another lovely voice memo episode. And I hope that Sarah and I will be together next week. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime... Stay feisty. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. My town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.